I'm reading from the ESV, but the NIV is similar, if not the same in many ways. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All the Father give me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the first, the negative, or his person. Now the second, look for the positive note in it and his work. Verse 48. Again, Jesus is speaking. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone does not, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Amen. May God bless us his word. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am a true vine. The I am part teaches us who Jesus is, his person. When Moses stood, you remember, as all Presbyterians naturally do, before the burning bush, when God had commissioned him to go to Pharaoh, and to say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, or slavery. Fearfully, Moses asked him, and, and who shall I say sent me God? God said this. Tell him, the I am God is sending you. Omnipotent. All powerful. Omniscient. All knowing. Omnipresent. Everywhere in heaven. Tell him the eternal God. The everlasting God is sending you. I am that I am is sending you to heaven. That became the greatest name and title for God in the Old Testament, known by the Hebrew Yahweh from the verb to be, and Hebrew translated by us Jehovah. And if you look at the Old Testament, again, intriguing you, you'll find it where Lord is written all in capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. It's the translation of this Hebrew word, the, the crown of all the titles in the Old Testament for God. Even when the Jews are reading aloud, the ministers do, the, the sacred scriptures, when they come to this four-lettered word for God, this most sacred word for God, they often substitute it. Or substitute for it another name, for it is in that sense so holy as to be honorable. El Shaddai, the, the strong Almighty God, El Elyon, the strong 
seeing God. They will never use Yahweh as a title for God. So you see, when Jesus used it, he used it intensely to make a point. In all these seven sayings, and threading through the Gospel of John, this is the point Jesus is making. He is in effect saying that he is not only he is not only the Messiah, the Savior. He is saying he is the Messiah, the Savior, who is divine, who is the Son of God. He is the Christ and the Son of the living God. That's why twice in John's Gospel, when he said this, they took up stones of stone and why? What a one thing in claiming and urging to be the Messiah and being an imposter, it was quite another thing. Him claiming to be divine. That for any man was blasphemy. But that's the point that Jesus was making. Jehovah, great I am, by earth and heaven confessed, says the hymn writer, I bow, I bless the sacred name. Forever blessed. The first part about the person of Christ. The second part of the set the bread, the light, the door, the shepherd, the resurrection, the way, the truth, the life, and the viral symbols of the work of Christ. Who he is and what he does. His work. So when he says, I am the bread of life, what, what does he mean? He means he's the substance. He is the food. He is the supply. He is the staple diet of salvation. Of changing your life and mine. Of letting us of the sin that we have by nature and giving us his new nature as a new creature. Isn't that remarkable? He comes up in two stages, in two ways, and here's an even more remarkable thing that often in these seven settings he will repeat the key theme twice. He does it here, as we've seen in the reading. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. There it's a primary about his person, and primarily has a negative thrust as to what he does as the bread of life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. There it has a positive thrust, and shows what he does in his work. As the bread of life. It had been a, it had been a long hard day, and it had started at Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing village on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was there Jesus called his first disciples. It was probably there Jesus had moved from where he had been reared in Nazareth to be living at the present time of his doing his gospel work. It was within the territory of Herodotus, one of the early rulers, Jewish 
rulers ruling for the Romans on the west side. They moved up the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. All the time it would appear Jesus teaching, teaching, teaching. That was his work. That was his mission. As they came up to the top, that was where the Jordan entered. They moved across the ford there in the Jordan at the top of the Sea of Galilee from the territory of Peridanthus to the territory of the Tetrarch. By that time it was mid to late afternoon. They were tired. They were hungry, the people. Jesus was aware of that. They'd been listening, learning, imbibing truth, information all the time. He says to Philip, and John tells us, he said to Philip as a test, Philip, oh, where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? So Philip, being practically a mathematical man, did a quick calculation. Oh, sir, eight months' wages of one man would be only sufficient to give a bite to each of the crowds here. But then I'm I know that. Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus. He brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. He brought, you remember, the end of the Greeks who were seeking Jesus to Jesus. And here he brings a point to Jesus. There's none here, sir. There's five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Did you ever wonder how he said that? Maybe. Then he just read it and that was it. Think about it. Here was Philip, practically, financially minded, down to earth. Here was Andrew. With his eyes on Jesus. I mean, the man, the man who turned the water into wine. The chain of Galilee. The man who gave the nobleman some at distance. The man who went first of all to Jerusalem and so impacted Jerusalem that people wanted to commit themselves to him, but he wasn't ready to commit himself to them. Surely this would be no problem. No matter how many people. Maybe that was the imagination. Maybe that was the faith. They hang on to his comment. But what are these? Among so many. Whatever. The rest is Jesus divides him the fifties and feeds upwards of five thousand folk with five loaves and two fish. And that's what it is, isn't it? It's not a nice wee story in these postmodern days that Jesus taught to say that we all share our lunches with everyone else. That's nonsense so far as the story is concerned, and it makes matters. Of those who told him. What's the whole point of the twelve baskets of loaves? There was not simply embroidering the land. No, it's a miracle. It really happened. It was extraordinary. It was beyond the bounds of science. It happened, normal science. It happened. Because Jesus made it. And why did he make it? I believe this was the reason. He was doing a pre teaching. Before his larger body of teaching, if he could miraculously and physically feed the bodies of upwards of 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, 
What could he not do for the souls of you and me and anyone else? Miraculously. Spiritually. Himself. As a bread of life. They were, of course, severely impressed. They wanted to take him and make him king, but he wouldn't have anything to do with their kind of kingship, ridding them of the Romans. His view was higher than that, wasn't it? So he went and basically hid himself in a mountain nearby, and they couldn't find it. Next day they come back to Capernaum, and they say, well, Sir, where did you go? We weren't being everywhere for you. We couldn't find you. He was quite sharp with them. I think. You were looking for me, not because, and John in his gospel uses the word sign for miracles. Samayan is the Greek. And he uses it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit purposefully. You were looking for me, but you were seeking me not because you saw the miraculous sign, but because you ate the film of the loaves. And we're satisfied. Your eyes are only on physical things. And then he says to them, labor, and he uses a strong word, labor not for the food that perishes, but for that which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, his favorite Old Testament term for himself as Messiah, which the Son of Man will give you. The Son of Man upon whom the Father has set his seed. Do you see what he's doing? He's drawing them away from physical food. Directing them towards spirituality. He's drawing them away from themselves and their needs. What they want. And the kind of Messiah they want. To the kind of Messiah he is. <laughs> and the glorious thing he is going to do as Messiah. But I don't get it. At the very mention of the word work, they jump at that. Oh, work, he said. Sir, what will we do to do the work of God? And he bluntly tells them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who is sent. That is the way of the kingdom. That is the way to get spiritual bread. <laughs> if we could work for it, we would work all day long and all night long together, wouldn't we? Good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? But you don't do anything in that sense. By your works, by your efforts, by your goodness, or by my works, my efforts, or my goodness. We put out a hungry heart. We put out a guilty hand. We put out a sinner's hand. And receive the gift of life. The bread of salvation. That's the point, is it not? That Jesus is making. But they, they don't seem to get it. <laughs> Maybe they don't want to get it. They talk about this, they talk about that, they talk about the other, they talk about Moses, they talk about manna. And at the end of the day, 
Well, well, they don't understand the nature of this prayer, and they certainly haven't a clue as to how to get it. They want it. It's on free offer, is it not? He's a marvelous man, is he not? Whatever he gives should be worthwhile, should it not? Sir, evermore give us this bread. See the point of the ongoing discussion? It was the same with the Samaritan woman. Wasn't it interesting? Back in chapter 3, before he even went to the Jews, at this point, he talked to the Samaritan woman, not about bread, but about water. And he said basically the same thing. Woman, whoever drinks of the water that is in that well will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. Oh, woman. And what did she say after all that, and after all that education, and after all that teaching, that it was not of herself, but a gift to be received from him? Sir, evermore give me this water, so that I need not come day by day to Jacob's well to draw water. She thought she could put it in, in a pail and keep it at home, and it would always be there, no matter how much she would use of it. Not to the physical. Blind to the spiritual. Right? Are you? So he would definitely take them to task and teach them. And this is the first sign. Negative and thrust about himself. How he can take away the dissatisfaction the hunger and the thirst, they're running after things that won't bring them salvation. How he and he alone can remove that. Because that's what sin does to each of us. It sends us up at tangents to try to earn salvation, to try to merit salvation, instead of admitting our guilt and receiving it. As a gift. And we're just the same. I understand. You're the same. Because we're fallen in Adam. So how is it? I am the bread of life. He who he who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in Simple words, simple concepts. Most of them a child, a children's church could grasp. And yet mankind misses the point. It works because mankind wants to miss the point. Doesn't take it serious. Can you hear them talking on and say, oh, is this man living in this planet? Come to him, whoever comes to me. Sure, weren't we with him all day yesterday? Didn't we stay the mid-afternoon when we were starved with hunger? And he fed us, and here we're back again today. What does he mean, come to him? Of course, he doesn't mean it physically. He means it metaphorically, if you want to put it that way. He means it spiritually. It means to leave where they are, 
in their situation as fallen sons of Adam and to come to him as the son of God who can take away that condition. And you then right. Do you remember how he put it under other circumstances? Using just a simple an illustration, being tired and worn out after a day's work, having a good night's rest, a good meal, getting up the next day refreshed. Come to me. All you labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you, learn from me. I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest. But it's not rest for the body he's talking about. And you will find rest for your soul. It's not the burden of work. And we all have that stress and strain these days. It's insurmountable sometimes. It's the burden of sin that ruins us. And he links that with belief. And that's intriguing. For nine times out of ten, when John uses under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, for Jesus' words, and not even for Jesus' words, in John's Gospel, he uses a special term, believe into. It's not simply a matter of, oh, sure, I know that. Sure, I knew that the first day I came to Sunday school and learned it. Is that not? No, that's not enough. That's head knowledge. It needs to get down to the heart, to the will, and activate that and be acted upon there. The most famous verse in John's Gospel, indeed in the whole Bible, says precisely that God so loved the word that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes into him should not perish. And John, introducing his whole gospel, and his introduction in chapter 1, makes the same point in, in, in simple language, but yet profound. He came to his own, this man Jesus, and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. That's what it is. You come to him, but spiritually you come to him. You receive him, but spiritually you receive him. And his own people did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, and then he unpacks it. Praise the Lord for the work of the Holy Spirit. He explains what he means to those who believe into his name. And what is his name? Well, didn't the angel tell Joseph when the child was born what his name was? Call the baby's name Jesus the Great. The equivalent of the Hebrew Yahushua or Joshua. For both Jesus and Yahushua, Jesus and Joshua mean salvation. Call the baby's name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. So I count. So I receive. Not just as a great and good man who is an example to be followed, yet. That's not the point. Nor even to our remarkable, the most wonderful teacher who ever lived, who has the answer to everything, yes, but that's not the point. I come to him as a sinner. <coughs> to a sinner. 
Look for that's what he does for you. And I admit my need for the bread of life and repent and believe the gospel. Do you remember the prodigal? Jesus had the textiles. Father, one of the things, for they were an unclean animal for a Jewish farmer. When they looked at them, they were nosing their way among the swell. And he came to himself, the Bible tells us. We each of us, whatever our background, I needed to come. Need to come to ourselves and realize where we really are before God. What am I doing here? He said to himself, as it were. Why, the very servants of my father, and I'm a son. And I'm starting. Have better food than this swill. He came And I, he says, these are the words, and I perish with hunger. Got it? Both he and the elder brother, the rebel, and the self-righteous Buddha, both needed to realize that. And we all need to realize that. Where we really are. And that we must come. And that we must receive. As our very own Savior. O oh Christ, in thee my soul is found. And found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss to now unknown. I sigh for rest and happiness, and don't we all? I yearn for them, not thee, but while I pass my Saviour by, told him his love laid hold on me. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, some legitimate, some illegitimate. But ah, the waters fed, even as I stood to drink, they fled, and not me, as I read. The pleasures lost, I sadly mourn, but never wept for thee, till grace, that's it, till grace these sightless eyes receive, thy loveliness to see that you're the Saviour, and I'm the sinner, and you're the only one can do that glorious work. And you do it. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. Glorious, isn't it? What about the second time? It's equally glorious. First time, the person negatively taking away the perishing hunger. The second time, the work positively giving eternal salvation. They talk about Moses. They talk about Moses being their great and that's acceptable. And Jesus wasn't a crying man. But notice how he compares himself with Moses as he talks to them. Second time Jesus said, listen, hear me again. I am the bread of life. You're talking about Moses? Fair enough. Your fathers 
et manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. A great work, a work of God, a miracle slice for slice of the loaf far bigger than the one that I performed yesterday. But it is no abiding things. It's over and done with. It's a sign in the Old Testament pointing forward to the fulfillment in the New Testament. Your fathers at manna in the wilderness and are dead. This bread I'm talking about. This is the bread of which if a man eat he may not die. Of course he didn't eat physically otherwise he was a liar and a false prophet. Jesus. He recognized whatever he would do. It was in the will of his Father in heaven that all mankind would go the way of the flesh. Ah. More important was what would happen so far as the Spirit was concerned. He goes on to tell them, I am the living bread come down from heaven of whom if a man eat, he will live forever. You know all this. But has it really gone? Not only into your head, but into your heart. And how would he do this? And the bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And later he drew that point home by saying, I tell you the truth, except you eat the flesh and drink the blood, vivid language of the Son of Man, of me, the Messiah, except you repent of your sins and come and acclaim me as your Lord and Savior. You have no life in you. And that was too much for me. Not for this nonsense. Who does this boy think he is? Moses is our leader. We're content with our religion. This boy. And John says, that many who had been following Jesus turned away at that point and didn't follow him any longer. Because they realized the truth, the demands the boy was teaching. And he swings around. I love this word. He swings around, he says to Peter and the rest, Are you going to go too? This is a Peter. Now, Peter made many mistakes. And Peter is no exemplar of perfection by any means, the man who denied his Lord. But listen to him on this occasion, because he really, he really gets it right on this occasion. Leave you, sir. To whom else should we go than to yourself, sir? Why? For you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, sir, not just with our minds, but with our whole life, and we have believed that you are the Holy One from God. 
was the same as he said it says earlier, fill up my horses. Who are you, sir? I tell you who you are. If you if you want my opinion as to who you are. Sir, you're not only the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, you are the Son of the Living God, you are divine. And it was bang right. He got it. Except you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man. 